Dear congregation, let us turn again in God's holy word to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, and we'll begin reading with verse 28, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Uh, Last week we recognized that Nebuchadnezzar is giving a testimony, a testimony to the whole world of what has transpired in his life, uh, especially a testimony of the grace and the glory of God as we see today. We recognize that he had a, a terrible and troubling dream, uh, a dream that he saw in a, a tree that was uh, stripped bare and cut down, and, and um, the interpretation of that dream was that indeed Nebuchadnezzar was this great tree, and he was stripped of all of his honor and all of his dignity and cut down and became like a, a beast that would be grazing in the grass and the dew of heaven would come upon him until he recognized and that there was a God in heaven who rules. And we'll see that coming to fruition even today in, in the passage that we read, Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the twelve months He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to this end of this chapter, 
Daniel chapter 4, we come to the end of the reign, really, of King Nebuchadnezzar, also in the book of Daniel. And although countless books could have been written about this time period of Nebuchadnezzar when he conquered Jerusalem and brought the temple contents before his gods in Babylon as God had given him the victory over, over, the, over the Jerusalem. We could have heard countless accounts of the history of Nebuchadnezzar and, and the dealings with God, with his people in Babylon especially as Nebuchadnezzar would have troubling dreams and, and the God of, in heaven would reveal those secrets to him through Daniel, his faithful servant. Or the times that we could hear of the image that Nebuchadnezzar made and, 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 and called the people to bow down and, and the faithful servants of God refused to bow down. And, and we find there that they were cast into the fire and despite all of this, ruthlessness of King Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven who delivers the faithful. And we come to Daniel chapter 4, and we heard of that troubling dream of that tree that's cut down and stripped bare, and, and, and the stump and remains, and that's a picture of Nebuchadnezzar who was that great tree and stripped of all of his honor and, and all of his power and authority as the king of Babylon. And there he, he's humbled to become a beast be, that crawled upon the earth, as it were, eating the grass until he comes to know that heaven rules. And certainly, by now, you would think that after impression after impression, King Nebuchadnezzar would truly come to know who this God is, the God in heaven who does rule. He's confessed it in various ways before. And yet, as Daniel clearly calls him and puts his finger right on what he needs, at the end, end of what we saw last, last week in verse 27, when he calls him, you need to break off from your sins and you need to practice righteousness. You need to show mercy to the poor. But nothing has changed. His pride continues. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't need another impression. He doesn't need another confession. He needs true conversion. He needs repentance and faith that produces a life to the honor and glory of God. And so do all of us. All of us. So does our culture. We often think that we just need one other thing, one other impression, one other, one other calling. What we need is a, is a heart change. We need God to irresistibly work in our lives, humbling us, bringing us to the repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even our own culture struggles with this as well, don't we? As a whole culture, we, we often hear things like we just need more regulations. We need, to, we need to regulate guns and ban them, and, and, and then we're going to have safety. We don't get to the heart problems. Or we think in our society that money and circumstances will fix our problems. And, and we don't get to the core issues that, that lie underneath it all is of sin. We think we can medicate our problems away. 
And we forget that our biggest problem is sin and a lack of acknowledgement that heaven rules. Heaven rules. And even though Nebuchadnezzar needed a dramatic conversion account that we have here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 28 through the end, because we recognize so often the saying that goes, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And certainly this is true of Nebuchadnezzar. But not all experiences are as dramatic as King Nebuchadnezzar here or Saul on the way to Damascus or, or Manasseh or, or those who were, who were in, in high positions and very wicked that they needed. But what we recognize here that many when we evaluate this, that many experiences are not this dramatic. And yet, at the same time, many of the same elements of Nebuchadnezzar's conversion must also be in our conversion. And it's all to the glory of God. And, uh, and, and, and also knowing this truth, that indeed, heaven does rule. I'd like to look at that and continue to look at that that indeed heaven does rule, and we'll see that the Lord converts Nebuchadnezzar by humbling the proud, secondly, by exalting the humble, and thirdly, to the praise of God in heaven. The Lord converts Nebuchadnezzar by humbling the proud. We read in verse 28, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Well, I think we can all recognize from that verse and those, those verses that Nebuchadnezzar is still a very proud king. It's where he looks in the mirror and he sees himself and he sees himself as quite something. And he's strutting around his palace and his kingdom and he's looking at it and he, he exclaims, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. You know, it's very interesting that God had patience with him for 12 months. 12 months have gone by after this dream. And there the king spoke these words. His heart is as proud as it ever has been before. And before we... Before we fault Nebuchadnezzar so much for his pride, let, let, let's think about what he's seeing. He's looking at a city that was a, that was a, a beautiful, impressive city. It, it, had, it, had a, it had two walls. It didn't just have one wall. It had two walls. One wall is 20 feet thick and, and towers over 60 feet. And the second wall is 25 feet thick. And the chariots could ride across the top of that second wall. That second wall was said to have take, taken 
15 million bricks to build that wall. And each one of those bricks is stamped with Nebuchadnezzar and his name. And and besides that, the, the, the city was beautiful. Royal gardens that seemed to hang in the air. It's, a, it's filled with culture and it had a, a wonderful university. and It was an impressive city. And we need to recognize that it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily sinful to be successful and, and, and to have something impressive and luxurious and beautiful. But, but there needs to be an acknowledgement of, of who has given it. There needs to be a God-centered impressiveness about it. And Nebuchadnezzar wasn't giving God any of the credit. I have built this by my mighty power and for the, the honor of my majesty. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says it like this. What do you have that you did not receive? If you did not If you did receive it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Nebuchadnezzar certainly wasn't doing that. He had received all of this from God. God had given him the victory. God had given him victory after victory. God had given him this city. God had given him this knowledge. God has given him the right to live. Yes, he was successful. And someone else might say, but... But you know, I'm successful too, and I've worked hard, and, and, and yet, how did we get there? How did we get there? Was it not God who gave us a good work ethic? Was it not God who, who gave us opportunities and blessings and health and strength, a sound mind and good, hard-working hands to, to do this? It was all God who gave it, and He gave it for His own glory. And as we look in the mirror, then we, then we say, no, this, this is not my business. This is not my house. This is not my car. This is not my achievements. This is not for my honor and then my glory. This is all what God has given me and has given me to be a steward entrusted to use it to his glory. There's nothing of that in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Is, that, is there something of that in your life, in my life? Or maybe it even sounds very pious. And maybe you even think, look at my humility. Look at my godliness. Sometimes it's not only about material things. It's about who I am and my character. Look at my character. And all of that, if there's any kind of good in us, it's all by the grace of God. And we need to acknowledge that. And when we don't, we need to be humbled. We, we know things like God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So we recognize that pride, it, it indeed, it goes before the fall. And here Nebuchadnezzar is about to fall. Not about to fall. Immediately. Immediately, not, the words weren't even off his mouth. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice calls out from heaven, we read in verse 31. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. 
They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Immediately, immediately God humbles him. And he humbles him to to the state of a beast. And we we think, man, that's that's really strange that someone would begin to act like, like an ox or a cow and start eating grass and <clears throat> staying out there day and night. And there's actually uh, a psychological term for this. It's called uh, boanthropy. And really, it's, uh, it's a state of being insane, a, a delusion uh, that, <clears throat> that, that believes that we are a cow or something like that. And, and and you even try to live that out and to act it out. You'd start eating the grass and mooing and, and walking on all fours. And it's actually a, it's actually a insanity. But isn't that really what it takes to show us the insanity of, of sin and of pride is to be is to be humbled like this. To be humbled like like a beast. There we find in verse 33, he was indeed driven from men and ate grass like an oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. In other words, it, it, was, it was a long time. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, in, verse, in verse 32, it says that seven times shall pass over you. And these seven times that pass over him are, are not like seven days or seven weeks even because it, the, the, his hair became like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. That's how long it was. Seven months? Seven years? I don't know. It could have been just a matter of God describing a fullness of time of, in, in his time. You picture this. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the most important person you might say in the world, the most recognized, the most honored, the most worshipped even person in the whole world. He's humbled like a cow grazing in the field. What do you think Nebuchadnezzar needs at this point? A psychological ward? Some good medication? Maybe maybe you say, well, he needs a relationship with God. You'd be right if you said he needs a saving relationship with God. But let us not forget, he already has a relationship with God. God has been striving. God, God has a relationship with all of his creatures. And furthermore, God has been striving with this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, for many years already, giving him impression after impression. And as a matter of fact, he's in the state of mind because of his relationship with God. But maybe you'd say, well, he just needs better circumstances. Certainly now he's at rock bottom 
and, and, and now we can try to help him, and, and certainly he'll appreciate that help, and, and, and we can direct him to the Lord. Or, or maybe he just needs someone to come alongside him and empathize with him and, and crawl on the ground like a beast and act like a cow with him and eat the grass with him. Then he will really know that he has a good friend or a, a good pastor, a good elder. You see, these all might be some important things to use in, in helping people, but, but, but that's not the cure that he needs. He needs a cure that comes from God. He needs to understand who he is before God and who God is. He needs to understand that there is a God in heaven and the God in heaven rules and his kingdom is everlasting. He needs to understand the character of God. That yes, he is a God who is just, but he's also a God who is gracious and merciful and faithful to his own word. Think of Isaiah, the prophet, understood a lot about God, but then comes face to face as he sees the Lord lifted up on high in Isaiah chapter 6. And he sees him lifted up on his throne in the mightiest of angels, they covering their face and crying, holy, holy, holy. And what does this make Isaiah do? It makes him cry out, woe is me, I am undone. I am nothing. You see, when we understand, when we understand something of who we are in the face of God, God wins. God conquers. God humbles. Because He wins by showing us His greatness as we melt before Him as nothing in our own smallness and significance and sinfulness. It's God who humbles. That's His way. That's His way of converting sinners today. That's His way of converting Nebuchadnezzar. He humbles the proud. Isn't that so beautifully displayed in and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our first sin in paradise, we stood up in pride before God and we we said, we want to be God, and we will be God. And, and since that time, you see that pride has reigned in the heart of men throughout history. And yet, Christ, who was and forever will be God, humbles himself, takes upon himself something that he was not, our very human nature, humbles himself to the depths of our humanity even to the depths of where Nebuchadnezzar was, crawling as a worm and no man, and the dust under the wrath of God humbles himself to the cursed death of the cross. There, there we see that God indeed does humble. He humbles him. Where will you take your humility? Or where will you take your pride to be humbled? Because the heart of the matter for each one of us, we need this repentance. Our pride needs to be stripped. Our trees need to be broken down. And we need to be humbled. 
before God to understand who we are in the face of the great salvation that there is in Jesus Christ. But God doesn't end there either. He doesn't end there because we see, secondly, that the Lord converts Nebuchadnezzar by exalting the humble. We read in verse 34 that at the end of the time, that period of time, the seven times, Nebuchadnezzar lifted, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. You see, see God takes those downcast eyes, those eyes that were looking at the dirt eating the grass, those eyes that once gazed on his empire. And he takes those eyes and he takes them off the dirt. He takes them past his empire and he causes them to lift to heaven. He exalts those eyes. Those eyes are exalted. Isn't that the same as what we read throughout the Bible? Bible story after Bible story illustrates this truth. Israel in the wilderness and their own sinfulness and their own waywardness, wanting to go their own way. God poisons them with snakes. And the only way they're going to live is to look to that serpent that Moses has put on the staff. And when they looked, they would be saved. Isn't that the hope for those in Babylon we read of in Isaiah 45? Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Isn't that where Saul had to come on the way to Damascus? As, as, he, as he falls down under the glory of God and, and all he can do is, is look to the Lord. You see, when our eyes are on ourselves, when our eyes are on our own accomplishments, when our eyes are on the circumstances of this world and all of it has, has in it to offer us, we need to look past it. We need to lift our eyes to heaven where God is sitting on His throne and where God pours out His gifts and pours out His graces upon us. And most of all, to look and to behold the one who is at the right hand of God. The one who is a humble lamb of God. Who's now exalted in power and dominion over all things, both in heaven and upon earth. That's where we are called to look. That's an exalted look. An exalted look to heaven. And this is, this is what we all need. And so often we, we think of again in this, in this world that, that what we really need is, is we just need, we need new political elections or we need bigger religious campaigns or, or we need a better education system or whatever it would be. And then we would really know, then we would really know who God is. We could really do something for the kingdom of God. But God, we see here in this chapter that God is the one who needs to break through. That the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one. He is the one who will do great things. Whether it's in this time or, or when He comes again. 
Because his kingdom endures forever. And his kingdom will be established forever when all things, when all things are put under his footstool. How many of us can go and look at Nebuchadnezzar's palace today? 500 years. Will your houses also be for A, as we sang of in Psalter 136? Nothing. And yet, God shows us that he is the one who exalts the humble. He exalts the humble when they look past this earth unto everlasting life in his kingdom. That is a kingdom that will endure forever. That is an exalted place. And what does he do as he exalts Nebuchadnezzar here? We see, yes, he lifts his eyes to heaven, but he also restores many things unto him. First of all, he restores his understanding. Nebuchadnezzar says, I lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. In verse 36, he says, at that same time, my reasoning returned to me. In other words, there was a radical and clear change in Nebuchadnezzar. Not only did he understand things again, no, no, no longer was he was he acting like a cow or an ox and a beast in the field? But he, he had the understanding and reasoning of a human, but, but far different even than what he had before. Far better because now he's come to reason and understand that indeed heaven does rule. And that also happens immediately. When he lifts his eyes, that reasoning and understanding return to him. Imagine the patience of God in dealing with Nebuchadnezzar for 12 months after he had received the interpretation of this dream. And yet, immediately, when he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he comes to understand that indeed the Most High God in heaven rules, he immediately, his reasoning and understanding returned to him. I think it would have been fair for God to allow him to wallow in that slowly gaining that reasoning and understanding back for another 12 months. But immediately, he gives it back to him. Not only is his understanding and reasoning given back to him and restored to him, but his throne is restored to him. How many of you think that if we witness the most powerful, influential leader of this world crawling on the dust eating grass, acting like an ox, how many of you think that they would return to power immediately after they regained their senses? I, I, I don't think, think any of us would ever imagine that. And yet Nebuchadnezzar it returns to him, and so does his kingdom. As a matter of fact, how many of you would go for counsel and, and, and actually value the word of this king after he had done this? This guy belonged in a psychological ward for seven times, whatever. And now the nobles and, and, and all of the people that were seeking wisdom were coming to him for wisdom. 
it says, my reasoning returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me, my counselors and nobles restored to me. His throne is restored to him. Why? Because they recognized the hand of God was in him and upon him. Because he received, as he says, a more excellent majesty. A more excellent majesty was added to me, he says in verse 36. And verse 37, he goes on to to show that excellent majesty as he praises the, uh, the king of heaven who says, all whose words are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Nebuchadnezzar has really learned his lesson here. He doesn't boast himself and says, look at me, I've come from being a cow in the past, past months and now I, I, I'm back in my mind and I'm better than before. I'm back at it. But no, he gives praise to God. He reflects that indeed God is the one who puts down the proud. This is true restoration. He's restored not only to his kingdom, but he's restored in his mind. He's restored spiritually. He's restored in the image of God because he's learned this humility and he confesses this humility and he lives out of this humility. John Calvin wrote, God is not properly praised unless our loftiness is cast down. He's not glorified until we are buried in the shame and lie prostrate in the dust. Many find no difficulty in celebrating God's justice as long as He does what they like. But the moment He treats them with severity, they begin to quarrel with God, accusing Him of injustice and cruelty. Not Nebuchadnezzar here. Nebuchadnezzar says he's full of truth and he always does justice. It was just and right for me to be humbled in the dust before God because he brings down the proud and he exalts those whom he humbles and he restores them. He restores Nebuchadnezzar's as trophies of God's grace. The most magnificent thing that Nebuchadnezzar could have ever done was given this testimony. This testimony to us today, what encouragement, what encouragement that is for us today. That indeed it is God, it is God, He is the one who does these mighty works of bringing down the proud and exalting the humble, not only for kings and princes, but for you and for me, each one of us needs to know something of this, and, and probably again and again and again. Nebuchadnezzar is back, but not in his old self. Nebuchadnezzar is back to give praise to God for what he has done. And we see that in our third point. The Lord converts Nebuchadnezzar to praise the God of heaven. Verse 34, we read, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar has a true conversion here and a true confession. 
to the praise of God. Notice the very personal language here. It was, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. It was I, Nebuchadnezzar, who blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. This is personal language. In the past chapters, when Nebuchadnezzar had any kind of confession and sent out any kind of decree, he would talk about God in the third person, or he would talk about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or the God of Daniel, but he would never own him as his own. He was one of the best of the gods. But now, he says, this is the only God. This is a God who is above all things. And he praises the greatness and the glory of God. Just listen to those words again. He praises the Most High God, the one who lives forever, the one who is the King of heaven, the one whose works are all truth and his ways are justice. He's filled with the praise of of the greatness, the majesty, and the glory of God. And the character of God. He praises him for his perfect truth and justice. And you notice this, especially in this song that he, that he pens, as it were. In verse 34, we read, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And then the next part of that is, is like the song, the reason that he gives this praise and the song of praise that he has given. And we read... <clears throat> For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? First of all, we recognize he's praising God for his covenant faithfulness. This king who knew nothing of the covenant of God this king who, who recognized and could appreciate this God now comes to praise his covenant faithfulness. That he, is, he has an everlasting dominion, but his kingdom is from generation to generation. That God is covenantally faithful. That's great news. That, that's, that's almost like taking out parts of the Psalms and praising God for for his faithfulness. I wonder sometimes how much Daniel was able to to interact with Nebuchadnezzar and and teach him of the things of God. And and, and here Nebuchadnezzar is praising God for his covenant faithfulness. And and we can remember that, especially today when the world seems like it's it's becoming so anti-Christian and and, and maybe sometimes we we wonder how, how will the church survive In such a secular culture, will it just get littler and littler, smaller and smaller, more insignificant and more insignificant? Well, we can know here from this account with Nebuchadnezzar and even his own testimony and his own song that God's promises, God's covenant is from generation to generation. It is an everlasting covenant. What encouragement that gives us for us and for our families, our children today. 
But secondly, it's not only God's covenant faithfulness, it's God's sovereignty that permeates this song. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And as a matter of fact, he goes on in verse 35 to to talk about how all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, including me, King Nebuchadnezzar, nothing before him. But God, he is sovereign, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he has to become nothing in order for God to become everything and to be worthy of his praise. That's the only way it's going to work. As a matter of fact, he goes and on in this and he says, this God, no one can restrain his hand. No one can ask of him what have you done? Not even I, Nebuchadnezzar, could restrain the hand of God. Immediately after my proud confession, he humbles me to the dust. There's nothing I could have done about it. Isn't that encouraging? God is sovereign. He goes and about and does whatever whatever is right, whatever is truth, whatever is justice. And he does it in his sovereignty, in his power, as, as the one who ultimately is king. You know, sometimes, sometimes you can, you can ask, your, ask someone, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Maybe, maybe this person has come, right, walked right into your garage and Take some of your tools and, and you ask them, what are you doing? Those are my tools. You could never ask that of God. Yes, you could ask that of another person, but not of God. What, what have you done? What are you doing? Because God does what, whatever is right and according to his will and according to his power. That's who God is. That's why he's God and we are his creatures. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that. We have to learn that day by day. And yet we need to recognize that that's actually very comforting, knowing that God does everything that is right, that is true, that is just. We, we can say that God in this pandemic is right and just and true to all of his words. And we can praise him for his sovereignty in it. Because he's done what is right and good. Has he not instructed us and taught us in so many ways? Or hasn't he? Or are we still too proud? And we stand, we say, well, we just need different circumstances. We, need, we, we just need different different medications, and different whatever you want to put on it? Or has it humbled us before God and said, God is doing what is right. God is doing what is just. As a matter of fact, He hasn't even dealt with us according to our sins and whatever we deserve. No one can resist God's hand. The most anti-Christian 
activists in this world cannot resist God. Nebuchadnezzar himself could not resist God. Nor can anyone in this world today resist the Most High God. And what encouragement that is for sinners such as us. For many who are playing in the dust and the mud and the muck of this world and the pigsty of this world, glorifying in their own filth, maybe you'll continue on. You won't see the grace that God has extended even to Nebuchadnezzar here in humbling him and converting him. I pray that's not you or me today. Daniel 1-4 through would be much shorter if God, if God didn't intervene in Nebuchadnezzar's life. I pray, even with boldness, that he will intervene in your life even today, humbling the proud. I can do so with boldness because of this account that God has given us of King Nebuchadnezzar and his dealings with him. But many times, we're also struggling with doubts and fears and challenges. And I can only imagine sitting in the dust on that, alongside that road, the pathway unto heaven. And as you sit in the dust there, maybe you're even trembling, wondering when I get to those pearly gates, and maybe you can even see those pearly gates in a distance, the gates of heaven. And there as you sit in that dust, you're maybe even trembling. When I get there, how will I ever, how will I ever be able to pass through those gates. You sit there humbled by your pride, by your sin, by your own unworthiness. Maybe that's you today. And then in the distance you look and you see someone like Manasseh coming. And he's coming and and he walks by you and he comes to the gates and, and the gates are opened and Manasseh's welcomed into the joy of the Lord and there's great rejoicing in heaven. You say, how can this be? He killed innocent babies on the hands of the molten God of Moloch. Then you see another come by. And you look, and, and that's Saul. And Saul comes by with the blood of Christians on his hands. And he walks by, and he comes to the gates. And there... The gates are opened. And he's welcomed and even said, Well done, good and faithful servant of the Lord, and crowned with a crown for his faithful service. How can this be? And you look again. And you see Solomon's. You see Noah's, you see Jonah's, you see Peter's, you see Thomas's, all walking by, welcomed into glory. And then you see another figure coming, and it's Nebuchadnezzar, a king who is so boastful and proud, a king who built an image of himself and threw God's faithful servants into a fiery furnace for not bowing down. How could this man ever get to heaven? Certainly, he'll be rejected. And you see him welcomed into glory. 
How? And then you look up a little further. Your eyes are lifted a little higher. You're lifted to the throne. And there you see the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came to be humbled even lower than Nebuchadnezzar as that worm in the dust, now exalted to the right hand of God. And there he has his scepter. And he's putting all of his enemies under his footstool. And he's conquering all those whom he has purchased by his blood. And indeed we find that heaven does rule. And sinners, even the worst of sinners, are coming humbly surrendering to his truth. And then my understanding is returned. And ah, yes, I know that there's a God in heaven. The most important personal lesson I can learn in all of my life is that God in heaven rules. And there, he takes my pride and he dashes it. And he lifts me up out of the dust so that I can walk boldly to the gates of glory and there fall into my Savior's arms for all eternity. Oh dear congregation, will you today be humbled so that your eyes can also be lifted up to heaven? Lift it up to heaven and walk the rest of this life that you have here below, trusting that heaven does rule, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. For in him there is salvation. He's still in the business of converting sinners, humbling the proud, exalting the humble, to the praise and the honor and glory of his name. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we give you thanks that you show us nothing is outside of your power, your grace, not even Nebuchadnezzar's. None of us are outside of it. And Lord, we pray that you would irresistibly work in us by the power of your grace to humble us and to exalt us. Not because we deserve it, but for Christ's sake. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.